Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. I want to start with John chapter 16 and verse 13. And tonight, uh, last Wednesday, we gave a talk on when the religious receive revelation. And we postulated that God is breaking in on religious people all over the world. And he's revealing himself. And Jesus is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Uh, We don't embrace the Oprah Winfrey pop culture, pop theology. You have a truth. I have a truth. We all have a truth. Your truth is truth. No. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. So have a nice day. Well, it doesn't say, so have a nice day. But I sort of throw that in there to comfort people. (laughs) And so Jesus said, I am the truth. And he didn't apologize for that. And he is the door to, he is the path to God. He is the path to salvation. And it's not your path and my path and the other path. He is the path. He is the truth. And so Jesus and his deity and his identity is breaking in and truth is all around us. And so I want to read uh, John 16, 13. These are the words of Jesus. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. Notice again the first part. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. So think about this. This is the truth saying, when the spirit of truth is come. Now you have to understand, Jesus told the disciples, you know, the things that I'm doing, you're going to do them. You're going to do it better than I ever did it. And then I'm going to the Father. So Jesus is speaking of a post-ascension and glorification after his death, burial, and resurrection. And he says, when the spirit of truth is come, meaning, of course, the Holy Spirit, that spirit will guide you into all truth. And I am counting on that. And I am praying that. I'm circling that in prayer. Because God is breaking in to the world today, all over the world. And I don't want us to miss that he is breaking in not just on the heathen, the atheist, the godless, the broken, the busted, the disgusted, 
the people that have never had any formal religious training. He's breaking in on everyone. But let's not miss that he is also breaking in on religious people. People that have faith. People that love God. They just don't know who he is. Yet. People that read the Bible, maybe more than some of us do. People that spend time in prayer, maybe more than some of us spend time in prayer. And it's all headed toward Philippians 2, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee will bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue confess. This is the big deal. This is the big revelation. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is. And there's only one of those. He's not sharing that with another two, one or two. Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is the big revelation that is breaking in on this earth. And David was passionate that the world would know who Yahweh was in the Old Testament. And we are equally passionate that the whole world will know who Jesus is. And that is our purpose. So my talk tonight, my Bible study, I want to entitle Talking to the Religious. Talking to the Religious. And tonight, just a few minutes, we're going to take a cursory look at conversations in the Bible that either Jesus or the first church had with religious people. And I know that this is the will of God for tonight, and I know this is in the Holy Ghost, because today I received a text from a religious person who is a church leader somewhere between the North Pole and the South Pole, and he is going, we have a phone appointment tonight at 9 p.m., so don't hold me up too long after church. I have places to go and people to see and things to do. And so I'm very excited about this conversation. It's a confirmation. Hey, how about that? That's super fun. Super exciting. So we're talking about talking to the religious. And let me start by saying that the Life Church. We are a particular brand or stripe or label of Christianity. And there are 1,700 Christian congregations in our beautiful metro. And there's a lot of different ideas, a lot of different theology, but none of it makes sense to me if it's not the way it was in the first church. And our impulse as Pentecostals is 
We want it to be the original. We want to go back to the beginning. We don't want to go back to just Azusa Street. We don't want to go back to the Reformation. We thank God for the Reformers and Luther and Wesley and, and Finney and the Great Awakening and all the revivals around the world. We, we celebrate all of that. We thank God for all of it. But our impulse, our passion is to call the church back to where it started. The first church, the original. There ain't nothing like the real thing, baby. That would be a good song. (laughs) And we want to go back to the first church. So we are at the Life Church, if I could call us classical Pentecostals. We're not neo-Pentecostals, we're classical Pentecostals because we believe in speaking with tongues. And why shouldn't we? The early church believed it. They preached it. It happened. It was the normative Christian experience that if you were a believer in the first century, you had been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost or you were fixing to be filled real soon. Right? Yeah. And classical Pentecostals believe in water baptism by immersion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without exception. This is the normative mode and formula for baptism. This is classic Pentecostalism. We believe in miracles, wonders, signs. We believe in shouting, dancing. You got to say dancing. We believe in exuberant uh, expression of worship and love to God. In fact, I was having a Bible study earlier today and someone asked me why, and I've had many ask me why we don't have a cross on this campus. And it's interesting because our architect kept wanting me to have a cross. You know, where's the cross going to go? Well, here would be a good place for a cross. And and I told him, his name was Jim. I said, no, Jim, if I want any Christian icon, I want an empty tomb. I don't want a cross. Uh, we thank God for the cross. We celebrate the cross for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness unto us which are saved is the power of God. And I will say that as classic Pentecostals, we have less religious imagery and less religious art like stained glasses, stained glass windows and like statues and like paintings. And perhaps there's nothing wrong with any of those things except don't have any other graven image, you know, to worship. OK, uh, but we don't need art to make us think about God because God shows up at the life church every time we gather together. <laughs> We don't need imagery. We don't need a cross to make us think of the cross. I feel the power of the cross right now. I feel conviction and love and, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I would say that the less visitation of God that a local church has, the less breaking in of God, 
the more stuff they need to give people a sense that it is a spiritual place. That's just my personal sort of idea. So thank you for those of you that are nodding and you get it. And so I appreciate that. Now, I'm not saying that the life church is perfect. I'm not saying that God could not break in and give us more. We're always hungry for that. We always want that. Um, uh, But I am saying that there's a whole lot more for our Christian brothers and sisters and friends around the world because denominations are famous for drawing a circle around their beliefs and then that's it. They're not going to take another step out. Even uh, Martin Luther stepped out from the Catholic Church and he said, the just shall live by faith. And it shook the world. It shook the religious world. Revelation broke in to the religious. And yet there was still more revelation than that. People were speaking with tongues. And oneness people who believed that Jesus was the mighty God had been executed by the church. Now, I'm sorry, that's not the church that I read about in the book of Acts. They were not doing the executing. They were being executed. And I don't want to have anything to do with the church that persecuted, if not executed, people of faith. That's not the church that Jesus suffered and bled and died for. It does not fit the DNA of the original church. Now... I'm talking about having religious conversations or conversations with the religious. And some religious people are tricky. You have to negotiate them. You have to be careful because if they have a religious spirit, that's sort of a, a, a spirit that, uh, uh, well, it was a religious spirit that crucified Jesus. So if someone has a religious spirit, I would say that revelation is not breaking in on them. But they're ready to break in on you. They're ready to break in on somebody if they have a religious spirit. Okay, I'm not talking about that sort of person. And I'm not even, you know, the Bible says try the spirits and have discernment and understand all of that. But just because someone is religious does not mean they have a religious spirit. Does that make sense? A religious spirit is a legalistic spirit. It is an accusatory spirit. It is a holier-than-thou spirit. And every denomination has them. So do we. But nobody at the Life Church, of course. (laughs) Of course. Uh, so, So every denomination has people with religious spirits. But it's interesting to me that I'm going to give a percentage. I I haven't scientifically figured this out. But let me say 
The vast majority, perhaps over 90%, of all recorded conversions to Christianity in the book of Acts were by religious people. In other words, people that had a faith, people that loved God, but revelation broke in, and we talked about that last week. So these are God-fearing, Word of God-loving, committed people of faith who came to more revelation. And in each case in the book of Acts record, there is an enlightened believer in relationship or in proximity or directly sent by the Holy Spirit to religious people who are hungry for more than what they have, and they're open to a new level of understanding and revelation from the Scripture. So if you have more or you know more, if God has revealed more to you from his word and he puts you into someone's life who's hungry, then you should share what you know. You should share what you have with them. Does that make sense? Don't put people down. Don't look down your religious nose at people because they don't believe everything the way that you believe it. Don't put people on islands. You know, they're on an island and you're on an island and, you know, you're never going to connect. Don't, you know, build bridges, not islands. (laughs) Don't burn bridges, build bridges. Build bridges to people. And the mark of a great teacher is and anyone can do this, celebrate the commonalities. Celebrate the common ground. And take people from what they know, perhaps to what they don't know, in conversation and in your experience and in Bible study. So we have something really powerful going for us, and that is the text that we read, John 16, 13. Jesus said, The spirit of truth will guide into all truth. Vincent Sinan, in his book, uh, Spirit-Led Christianity in the 21st Century, it's a very interesting work, and it's probably a 20-year-old work now. You might want to consider taking a look at it. Vincent Sinan, Spirit-Led Christianity in the 21st Century. He says that by the year, I think he said 2025. And I remember when I first read it, I'm like, oh, that's way out there. That's like in two years. He said at the present rate of the growth of the Pentecostal and charismatic movement, there will be two billion Pentecostal and charismatic type theology, faith. And I don't know about that. I don't know what the current rate is. I'm just saying that the thing that we are a part of is the fastest growing religious movement in the world today. It has actually taken over uh, another strong uh, 
faith, not a Christian faith, and I'm not going to name any names or label anything, but we're part of something, and I know we're not packed out tonight, but we're part of something that's on the move. And I'm going to, I want to say something to you faithful 20, 30, 40, 50 year Pentecostals who have been holding the fort and keeping the lights on. And like I said last week, when nobody else was clapping their hands, you were clapping your hands. And when no one else was lifting their hands, you were lifting your hands. And when no one else was speaking in tongues, you were speaking in tongues. And when no one else was saying amen to the preacher, you were saying amen. And you were dancing and you were faithful. The day is coming. Your faith is going to be vindicated. Because revelation is breaking in. God is moving. It's all moving toward the apostolic, classical, Pentecostal movement. Everything is. It is. It just, the spirit is guiding into all truth. All right. So Acts chapter 2, verse 5. This is after the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the first four verses of Acts chapter 2. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men. Everybody say devout. This means religious. And so they are asking questions. They're from 17 different nations of the world. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, parts of Libya, uh, Cyrene, Romans, Cretes, Arabians, We all do hear them speak the wonderful works of God. So locals, the Galileans, are speaking in tongues. And they're speaking in languages from these foreign nations all over the world. 17 different nations are represented. And this is a phenomenon. And they can't understand how can locals be speaking in their languages. Now here's the thing. They're all devout. That means they're religious. So when Peter's preaching... He's preaching to an informed audience, and they ask four questions. Are not all these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue when we are born? What does this mean? So they ask three questions, and then Peter preaches to them, and he appeals to prophecy. So I'm teaching right now. He appeals to the Bible. He uses the Bible to talk to religious people. And he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men shall see vision. Old men shall dream dreams. Okay, this is right out of Joel chapter 2. So he uses Joel. Then he appeals to David in the Psalms. And then he brings it down where the rubber meets the road. And he says, you crucified this Jesus. You slew him and you hung him on a tree. Just 50 days ago, you said, crucify him and give us Barabbas. This is all through the message. And so he's, he's not pulling any punches, but he knows he's preaching to an informed audience. He appeals to their Bible. He appeals to their prophets. He appeals to David, their hero. And then he puts it all together. And conviction hits. Can religious people come under conviction? Yes. 
Yes, if they're honest. And they said in verse 37, Acts 2, 37, men and brethren, and, and when they were pricked in their heart, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Would you not agree with me that the next words out of Peter's mouth would have something to do with getting saved? He's not talking about tiddlywinks. He's not talking about, you know, boy, it sure has been dry around here the last 30 days. No, no, no. He, this is serious now. These are religious people. These are religious people. What do we need to do? And Peter says, repent. And then be baptized. Verse 38, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful to know the truth? Why? For the remission of your sins. He didn't say because you're already saved, we're going to have a splash party. Because you're already saved, call your aunts, uncles, grandpas, grandmas. About every six months we baptize people around here. It doesn't really have anything to do with your salvation. But because you are saved, we want a public declaration. No, that's popular Christian theology. That is not Bible theology. That is not classic first century theology. That's not what Peter preached. He said, get baptized to wash your sins away. Baptism does something for you. It doesn't just give you a good feeling in your heart. It's not so that everybody claps and cheers when you come out of the water and you, like, you had great courage because you got baptized. No, you had your sins washed away. You went down a, a nasty old sinner. You came up a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen. So Peter knows who his audience was, and he speaks very well to them. Wow, I got five minutes. So Acts chapter 8. This is, this is a good one. So in Acts chapter 8, I want to just... Skip on down to, I won't even take time for the preaching in Samaria. Go down to Acts 8.26. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. This is Philip, who has been ordained by the apostles to go preach in Samaria. Samaria was religious. And he preaches Christ, and he casts out devils, and he works miracles, and he baptizes them in Jesus' name. Peter and John come down, and the Holy Spirit falls, and they're filled with the Holy Ghost. And I believe that we can confidently say they spoke with tongues because the sorcerer of Samaria said, Give me also this power on whomsoever I lay hands, they will receive this Holy Ghost. So what did he see and here, that was so special, unless they were speaking in tongues as they did in Acts chapter 2. Okay. Now, in this red-hot revival, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, don't just hang out in this great revival with all these religious people, but I want to send you to the desert to talk to one man. He's from Ethiopia. And he went to Jerusalem to worship and they probably didn't even let him in the temple because of the condition of his body. He was disqualified. 
but he's ready. And so this man from Ethiopia, he's religious. And Philip is standing, get the picture, he's standing out in the desert. One roadrunner. One rattlesnake. <laughs> one coyote. And suddenly he sees billowing clouds from a chariot pulled by a horse. And here comes this man from Ethiopia. And the spirit says, go join yourself to that chariot. And the Bible says he ran after it. <laughs> Don't you love these word pictures? He's running. And he's... And, uh, and the, the Ethiopian... What are you doing? And Philip says, do you know what you, do you understand what you're reading? What's he reading? He's reading Isaiah. He's got a scroll of Isaiah. How rare is that? You know, they couldn't just go to the Christian bookstore and buy a Bible. He's, he's got a scroll of Isaiah and he's reading it. And it's chapter 53. And it's about Jesus. And, and so Philip hops up in the chariot. And they're having this conversation, bouncing down a bumpy, dusty road in the desert. And the, the Ethiopian says, how can I understand unless you explain it to me? I'm religious, but I think you've got something to share with me. And the Bible says he preaches Christ or he talks about Jesus right out of Isaiah. Let me ask you a question. Can you preach Jesus out of the Old Testament? You should be able to. Because the Old Testament points to the cross and the New Testament is a result of the cross. And like we said last week, if you cut any page in the Bible, it'll bleed the blood of Jesus because he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was in the mind of God before there ever was a sinner or a sin. And so apparently Philip and the Ethiopian have this incredible Bible study. And then the eunuch says, well, I guess I do need to be baptized. How does he know he needs to be baptized? Because Philip gave him revelation of water baptism in the name of Jesus. Have you heard that Jesus suffered and bled and died? Have you heard that he's the Messiah? Have you heard that he's coming back again? Have you heard that there's no salvation in any other? How do you know this, Philip? Well, this is what the apostles preached. And the Bible says that we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So I'm bringing to you the word of the apostles as they got it from Jesus. And you must be baptized in the name of the Lord to have your sins washed away. And so the, the Ethiopian says, well, here is water right here. What, what would hinder me to be baptized? And so uh, Philip says in verse 26, excuse me, that's where the, the spirit sends him to the Ethiopian. And he says, verse 37, if you believe with all your heart, and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay, this is all I have time for tonight. Listen, don't let anybody tell you that when you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, that you are saved in that moment. There's a context for that moment. Confession is not standing alone for your salvation. But confession is always and without exception connected to the moment of baptism. 
Confession is baptism. Acts 22, 16. Paul is telling his conversion story. And Ananias says to him, you know, why are you tearing? Arise and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Confession is always in the moment of baptism. Because that's really when Jesus becomes your Savior. That's when your confession is activated and you confess Jesus as the only one who can do that. And so baptism is the moment for confession. Everybody say confession is baptism. Amen. Perhaps... If you would stand with me, I I want to just give you one more example of having conversations with religious people. I want to look at Acts 18 and this account. I want you to look at the qualifications of this man named Apollos. Acts 18, 24 He was a Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria. He was eloquent, mighty in the scriptures. Verse 25, he was instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in the spirit. He spoke and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So Aquila and Priscilla hear him preaching in the synagogue. Did they just walk away and say, man, that guy was awesome? No. They waited till he got done signing autographs. And when they were the only two left, they said, Apollos, you were awesome. You're fervent in the scriptures, fervent in the spirit. You're instructed in the way of the Lord. You're eloquent. You're mighty in the scriptures. They didn't look at him and say, what Bible school did you go to? Don't you know nothing? No. They celebrated him. You were incredible. But have you heard? You're you're a disciple of John the Baptist. He was the forerunner. He even said, the one that's coming after me is mightier than I. Have you met Jesus yet? And they expound unto him the word of God more perfectly. That means they had a Bible study. When are you going to teach someone a Bible study? When are you going to share your faith and your story with someone religious? When are you going to have a conversation and bring them from what they know to what they don't know? That's why you're there. That's why you're there. And they did this with great wisdom, and God helped them. And we know later, Apollos was a very celebrated, in fact, he's called an apostle. Think about that. Aquila and Priscilla, they had a part in Apollos' faith journey. And don't you know, whenever he saw him, thank you guys for taking me aside. I thought I had it all. I didn't have it all. But I was hungry, and you shared more with me. 
And so my purpose in this tonight is to challenge you to pay attention. Listen. Watch. Look for the cue cards. Listen to people's questions. Don't be threatened or intimidated. Tell them your story. Put it in the context of the gospel. Let's see what God will do. Are you willing to have spiritual conversations with religious people? I, could, I wish I could say more. I'm not, I'm not at liberty to say there are people here tonight that are having and have had religious conversations with religious people. And people have come and are coming to more truth. They're coming to more truth. It's not that they don't have any truth. They're coming to more truth. So I want us to pray John 16, 13 right now. Let's pray that the spirit of truth will lead, that will guide into all truth. Would you lift up your voice with me right now in the name of Jesus? In the name of Jesus, Lord, we know you're breaking in. We know that you're breaking in, oh God, you're coming. The Holy Spirit, Lord, is guiding. Lord, it's working for us. The Holy Spirit, Lord, is working for us. We don't believe that we're the end all. We don't, we're not arrogant, Lord, in our faith. We're so humbled by the revelation of truth, Lord, that we want to share it and we want to love others with it. And we want them to know what we know and to feel what we feel and to have what we have and to experience what we've experienced, Lord. Let the Holy Spirit break in. Lord, let the gifts of the Spirit break in. Let the mighty God in Christ break in. Let water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ break in. Lord, let every one of the 1,700 Christian congregations in this community, Lord, get revelation and understanding where there's hunger, where there's openness, where there's sincerity, Lord. God, let Apollos hear it. Let the eunuch, let the Ethiopian eunuch hear it, oh God. Lord, I pray that, Lord, Cornelius, Lord, will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. Lord, may we have conversations with the religious. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.